Hey friends, this is Daniel Emery Price from 40 Minutes in the Old Testament and 30 Minutes in the New Testament, and I wanted to invite you out to a Here We Still Stand regional event in Northwest Arkansas on April 22nd and 23rd. This is a two-day event that features tons of music and speakers and food and fellowship. I'll be there, joined by Scott Keith, Chad Bird, Dan Van Vores, Kelsey Kalimbara, Caleb Keith, Blake Flatley will be there, Andy Gullihorn and Jill Phillips will be performing a concert. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can go over to 1517.org slash events, and you can find the Northwest Arkansas Regional Event. It's only $99 for this two-day event. We'd love to see you there. Get registered today. Welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It's Wade and Mike in the studio on the Hides of March. I just realized. Oh, I, I was going to say that. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Well, what do you want to say about it? I was going to say, beware the Hides of March. Yeah. And I was going to talk about Caesar. Yeah. It's, you know, Stab Dictator Day. Yeah. And I will tell you, Michael, part of me, the sinful nature, as we have what's happening in Europe... I wish it it were also stab a dictator day, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I I wish there was a uh, a Brutus, yeah. like a a, a Brutus Ilanovich. Ilo, yeah, an oligarch that uh, that was gonna had some guts. yeah yeah because he wants his yacht, <laughs> but he's gonna you know what uh, you know what Caesar meant. King ruler. No, like the name his name meant Harry. As a nickname. His for, family name was Julius. He's from the Julie family. And then uh, um, Caesar was his nickname. Just like Cicero was a nickname and Cato. <laughs> um, and then you know, he has a son with Cleopatra. You know this, right? <laughs> Keep going. And uh, names him Caesarian. You know what that means? Little Caesar. Uh-huh. Which is uh, now... Caesarian, who does not get to become emperor after Caesar uh, Octavius does, his adopted son. Mm-hmm. But um, still he lives on in the uh, pizza pizza um, that supports the Detroit Tigers and Detroit Red Wings, which will connect to our to our free-for-all. But that does, Caesarian is little Caesar. That was his kid with Cleopatra, the last pharaoh of the uh, Ptolemaic dynasty. Well, you... you uh... Can you tell I'm teaching um, History 111 you, this semester? You got a lot of, lot of history for us today, which yeah. is kind of our topic. Our topic's going to be why study church history. So kind of probably even broader than that, like why should we even bother with history, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you also tied it to uh, baseball, which mm-hmm. is going to be our free-for-all, uh, our annual uh, Major and League Baseball. And I tied baseball. it to Russia, Ukraine, because I'll probably bring that up again yeah. at some point. Our Major League Baseball, annual Major League Baseball preview. If you were if you were an emperor, um, like in you, so you had a nickname that people gave. What do you think like your thing would be? Um, what it would be, or what I would want it to be? No, either one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd probably be like the fat. Wade the fat. But then, if I was like the first, you know, like. Well, not the first, but the like dictator everybody remembers. Yeah. Then, like everybody after me would be the fat, and that would mean like the ruler. Yeah. Um, you know. You know. It'd be like go. the fat Augustus. Yeah. And then, um, you would have had the fat Wilhelm. Mm-hmm. You know, for the First World War. Um, you know, I'd probably be like or Dick Rosa or whatever the Michael the Average or something like that. I just thought my my religious title should be sort of reverend. Michael Berg. Yeah. It's probably more accurate. Yeah. All right, I was just curious. Yeah. Speaking uh, of speaking of hair, by the way, you still haven't said anything. You look very nice. You got a haircut Guess today. Guess where I went? Uh, I don't know. Where does Michael go? Where do I go? Yeah. I go to Great Clips. 
oh, I, I think we went to sports clips. So I went to sports clips. Yeah. And I got the I got the fade and the beard trim. Yeah, it looks good. I I got the Michael. Yeah. I, I didn't still know think, you went to great clips, though. I still think it, you need a skinnier beard. No, I, they she mentioned about it, but she agreed that squared fits me because I'm fat. The skinnier beard makes you look less fat. No, it makes my head look smaller compared to my body. I'm just saying maybe like a quarter of an inch more would have been perfect. I'll think about it. All right. Okay. It's the first time I've ever had my beard trimmed by someone else. Yeah. Interesting. I felt very vulnerable. Yeah. I don't like, um, I don't like people uh, cutting my hair, but you got to do it. So our topic today is going to be why church history. Our free for all is going to be our annual major league baseball preview. And uh, we'll try not to go off, uh, off topic too much, but we can't guarantee anything. So with that, um, that sounds like a perfect segue to our disclaimer. Yeah, but before we get there, I'll just briefly say we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. I encourage you to te- check out 1517.org for a number of great resources. I've had some blog posts. Michael has an academy uh, series there. We have got books. Um, but go ahead and check out 1517.org. If you have not yet, I would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me. And Michael, am I a grateful person when people Mm -hmm. do things for me? Uh, I would be very grateful if you have not yet is um, if you would make your way over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. How many stars, Michael? Say it right this time. Um, Anywhere between three to five would be fine. Why do you got to be difficult? Give us five stars. I just, it's too or at much. least four now. It's I feel too like much now I'm pressure. It down. It's too much um, pressure. And if you have a moment, maybe even write a short review. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, that helps when people are searching for stuff. And if you think we're having a conversation, that it'd be good for other people to hear. If you think we maybe have some, some good gospel stuff that you would like people to get, um, it really helps us pop up when people are searching, get us a little more visible. Um, when people are checking out podcasts on different topics. So please go ahead, um, give us a rate review. Should you so desire, go ahead and subscribe. You can even set it up not to be downloading like five of our episodes if I'm dropping a bunch. Um, but that goes a long ways. And now the now the disclaimer. Remind me to circle back to the Cicero thing, by the way. Okay. It's very interesting. Uh, this show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be talking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all where we discuss the pressing issues of the day. Um, Michael, I said we'd mention Cicero again. I did look up to make sure I was right on that. Cicero is indeed a nickname. I might be wrong on Cato. I have to look up more on that. I didn't check. Um, but Cicero is a nickname meaning chickpea. And as with Caesar, these could be nicknames that were came from ancestors as well. Um, apparently, maybe some of the Caesars were uh, of, the, of the, the family line that Caesar came from. Some maybe even were bald, so it might have been ironic to call him uh, hairy, like sometimes you call a big guy tiny, right? And uh, Cicero was uh, is a nickname Chickpea, which um, apparently one of his ancestors had a, a wart on his nose. So uh, if you see flaws in me or me and you, that could be the, the route we go with the... Uh, the nicknames as well, should you want, Michael. I will say I preached at Wisconsin Lutheran High School today. Um, I preached in front of a, I don't know, what, like eight or 900 high schoolers. Mm-hmm. And that's a different experience because high school is a particular age in life, right? And so I say, I'd say it was a mixed crowd. There were some who uh, probably from the get-go were pretty disinterested because it was 8.45 in the morning, and do you remember being that age and 8.45 in the morning, Michael? Um, there was some seemed very interested, which was good. There was a number of familiar faces I knew through my 
boys and then faculty there know. So that was good. Um, but while I was over there, um, our our friend and, and a guest on the podcast, the Reverend Dr. Phil Hebner, suggested a free-for-all, which we're not going to do. But you want to guess what he suggested. It, it, it pertains to your, um, your college allegiance, Michael. Guess. What do you think it was about? Um, it has to do with Michigan. Yeah, I don't know how awesome they are. No, if uh, they're a hockey team, so we should do. If you could punch one coach, <laughs> they're hockey. Yeah. In all of sports, who uh, would you punch? Uh, well, first of all, it was a slap. Um, <laughs> I told him you do that. You would probably say you would punch guard, because I was like right away he was like he shouldn't have done it, but I support Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, we we have that. We should have a free for all on Juwan Howard just in general. For those who don't know the. Uh, a Michigan man, that's Michigan what you guys like to say, right? A Michigan, Michigan man. man. Michigan man, John Howard, for the second time, second time up, tried to fight an opposing coach yeah. and uh, against Wisconsin, yeah. which was teaching them how to bucky, yeah. and he got upset. Yeah. So um, that's why the Reverend Dr. Phil Hebner yeah. mentioned that. So I just, I'm I told gonna, him I would pass that on. I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm not going to bring when he up said, right. When I said we were recording today, he said I should bring that up. So yeah. now I have in case he listens. I I have a. I could talk half an hour on it if you want, but we're, we were you surprised not. they got in the tourney? No, I knew they'd get in, but I was surprised at the high seat. I was kind of hoping NIT for them. No, I, I think they're. See, that that's a difference. I don't. Now they're going to like win the first round. I don't hate like I don't hate Michigan State. Well, I don't hate Michigan. I just don't think they deserve like, to be in the tourney. I would like Michigan State to be in the tourney. They were. They played. They played good when he was suspended. They played okay. Okay. Let's talk baseball. Let's move We're not going to go too long. We're purposefully doing this on a day when we don't have like five people in here. Yeah. And then it goes forever. Yeah. Baseball, um, the strike is ended or was averted or however you want to look at it. Lockout. Uh, the, uh, we're not going to get into union stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael is a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Mm-hmm. I am a uh, Detroit Tigers fan. I would say my second allegiance is the Brewers. I think you would say my second allegiance would be the Tigers. Yeah. So um, I my second team for most things is Wisconsin stuff with the exception of the Packers because it makes my wife happy. And my kids and I, we enjoy going to stuff. So I would definitely say Brewers would be my second team. So we have Tigers, Brewers, Cardinals. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Cubs. Michael, are you a big fan of the Cubs? No, I'm not, not really. Um, so that can be a shared. I know you don't like the Astros. I hate the Astros. I don't know that I have a – I guess I hate the Yankees. See, I don't – I'm not the – you know, you have rivalries. and you, We should have a discussion about this. Like diff, there's different kinds of rivalries. So the, the rivalry that Michigan and Michigan State has is brotherly in that – certain sense mm-hmm. right you sort of kind of want Michigan State's kind of like a mentor to Michigan yeah that it's usually said the other way around but anyway like back uh before the world wars yeah, yeah. like I would very much like Michigan State too. I like Tom Izzo I even like D'Antonio um I you know I would be I would be happy if I grew up to be Judd Heathcote, Heathcote. I mean you like know dude yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so, and even Ohio state there, that's different because it's not brotherly, mm-hmm. but nor is it hateful. It's more spiteful. Like I want Ohio state to do well. So then Michigan beats them. No, I want them to lose. Yeah. I want them. So Michigan state and Ohio state have a different, it's, it's more of a nasty rivalry, I think for Michigan state, Ohio state. Could be. Um, but then there are teams that I, there's only two teams that I despise that I want to lose. Like I'm not like Urban Meyer's kind of a a, a jerk, whatever. But I I don't hate him. I hate Duke basketball and I hate Astros baseball. That's it. And I don't disparage like the Yankees or the Celtics for being good. I don't I don't hate them just for you know like would I like other people to beat them just to mix it up? Sure, but I don't I don't have that kind of hatred in my heart. But for some reason, it's all geared towards Duke basketball and Astros baseball. So thankfully, Duke will not be competing in the MLB this year, but Astros will. Yeah. Um, Michael, why don't we give me your prediction for your St. Louis Cardinals. Give me your prediction for who wins the World Series and give me your prediction for who has the worst record in baseball. Okay, I'm going to give you a dark horse, too. 
which I think we should add to it. I, this is very difficult because free agency should already be done, but now it's just getting started. So you don't know where some of these best players are going to go. Um, I'm going to say that the Cardinals actually win the division because Cincinnati, the Cubs, and Pittsburgh are all either in perpetual rebuilds or rebuilding. And I think, quite frankly, they're better than the Brewers. And it's time for them to show it. So I think they get uh, into low 90s. And what, what the missing part they need is now that that DH is in the NL, ugh, um, they really could. This could be an this could be an opportunity to sign a home run hitter, which they have been sort of kind of lacking um, in the DH role. So I'm going to go with them. I think the uh, San Diego is now out. I think I don't think they they are going to do well um, because they just lost uh, Tatis for like three months. Um, I'm going to say it's the Dodgers. It's the Dodgers to lose. In the American League, boy, it's a, it's it's way open, right? You could have Tampa Bay, Boston, New York. Um, you should have the White Sox. You could have Houston. You could have everybody but Detroit, you know? So I'm going to go with, I'm, we're finally going to get a New York Yankees-Dodgers rematch. And I don't like it, but I hope the Dodgers win there. Dodgers are my third team. Uh, dark Horse, um, a, a dark horse coming out of nowhere kind of thing. Um, I'm going to say Minnesota because so I said last year and then they really disappointed yeah, me. Yeah, because, because they were so disappointing and I think they've made some moves that were a little bit questionable, but I think they, they got better pitching wise. So the twins are, they're too good to be in last place like they were last year. So I'm going to say the twins are your dark horse. All right. What do you got? Um, I, it would pain me if either San Francisco or L.A. comes out of the National League. Um, I will. Sometimes I'm happy for the Dodgers to the extent that um, your brother Joseph is a Dodgers fan. And so it's nice when you know someone who supports a team, you're kind of like, okay, part of me at least can be happy for that. But I would say that would be the only reason I've ever somewhat been like, okay, if the Dodgers win I, I would I would prefer it not be either of those teams, but I'm going to go ahead and say another team from California. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with the Padres coming out of the National League. Uh, I maybe jumping on a bandwagon from early last year, okay. but they just they seem fun. They do, they but Tatis fun. is going to be out. Well, but the thing but is, he'll Michael, come back. Can they can they win enough while he's gone to? Right, yeah. and uh, the thing is. If the Padres make the World Series, mm-hmm. you know who else has to make the World Series? The Tigers. Rematch, baby. 1984. We've been waiting. 1984. We've been waiting for that rematch. Yeah. For a long time. I think uh, probably would set ratings records. <laughs> uh, you know, the Tigers are for for an organization that has not been uber consistent in the last few decades. They are bold. Like they tried to go after Correa. Who turned him down? I guess mm-hmm. so. But I, I'm going to go with because I mean now in the MLB you don't have to be the best team all year. Mm-hmm. You just have to get in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say they get in and they make a run. I'm going to say um, Brewers win uh, the Central in um, like they had to do against the Cubs a while back in a playoff at the, a one game playoff because mm-hmm. that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say in the American League, I don't think the Tigers are going to make it, although that would be, that would be great. Ah, oh, man, it's hard to say. I don't want it to be the Yankees. I don't have anything against Tampa Bay. I don't want it to be the Astros. Um, can I say Toronto? Yeah, I think that, that would be a good pick. And uh, I'm going to say my dark horse. Um would be, uh, let's go with Seattle. Okay. That Seattle maybe makes a showing. I do think there's a good chance it could be the White Sox, but it just pains me to say that. Yeah. Not because I, I hate the White Sox, but just a, I prefer a rivalry to and, Detroit. And just, they always seem a little, a little shady. <laughs> you know? Totally, Tony Larissa. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say my, my Tigers. They're going to hit 500. 
Yeah. I'm gonna be bold enough. They they made a push towards it last year. Yeah. If you take out that terrible stretch they have, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say they hit 500. All right. I think they're gonna be fun to watch. Okay. I'm happy for you. It'll be good. Who I you got? So. Who you have winning it at all? I have the Dodgers. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll say Toronto. Okay, very good. All right, we will forget this by the time we're done with our episode, but uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the year. All right, right. sounds good. We'll make our way to our main topic. which is going to be why study Christian history. So uh, this will be a, a, a broader topic. We will probably won't get into any specifics of Christian history, but uh, why study history at all, and especially when it comes to uh, the history of the Christian church. So, um, uh, you know, a couple of things that jump out at me right away when, when you brought this topic up, Wade, was um, there's, there's, there's doctrinal things that, that are fought um, in, especially in the early church, which we don't fight anymore, generally speaking, at least in our corner of, of, of the Christian church, precisely because these things were hammered out. And so, for instance, we recite the Nicene Creed, and um, whether we know it or not, these were, were very specific ways of writing about who Jesus is and, and, and the, 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 what the Bible says about the Trinity, for example. And uh, there was philosophy, there was politics, there was, there was all sorts of things that were, were going on in the early church. And we're the, we're, we, we reap the benefits of that. Um, and so we recite that creed in a lot of ways so that we never forget. We never fall back into those, into those traps. And, and so we have that historical thing right in front of us, but to truly appreciate and truly understand what this is about in relation to Jesus Christ and our salvation, it's really important that we understand the history behind it. So there's theological reasons why it's important to study, um, to study the Christian church. A second point would be this whole idea that we, you know, it's just me and my Bible. Well, good for you. Um, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we occupy time and space <laughs> and, and we are, we carry certain baggage and that baggage does come from, from history, uh, good, bad, and ugly. And so to think that you come to any text, let alone, uh, the sacred scriptures with a clean slate is naive at best, right? So the more history you understand, the more you understand about yourself and your culture and you understand uh, than the, the theology behind all of it. And I, I think maybe the third point too is, and this is something I try to hit home in, in worship class quite a bit, is to be diverse and tolerant, which are good things, right? And things that are at the, the front part of our current ethic. And to be fair, when I think of Michael, that's the first thing yeah. that comes to mind. Um, you, you, you can't, we, we think of diversity as everybody's got their own opinion and we just have to accept it. Um, but diversity is not just a diversity of current opinion, but mm-hmm. a diversity of, of the past too. And, uh, so if, if you're just about this particular spitting contest in 2020 in the church, um, and find yourself being, you know, labeling yourself tolerant or diverse without understanding, uh, the diversity of the past, I think that's can be extremely naive and, and and harmful. Uh, for instance, we, we all fall into the trap of, of, for instance, thinking that a post um, uh, Council of Trent uh, Roman Catholicism was was the same as the pre uh, Council of Trent Catholicism, when in fact there was quite a bit of diversity when it came uh, to thought um, and practice, uh, for good or bad. And uh, just to just to 
just to broaden ourselves quite a bit. And so these lessons, I think, are you can you can you can uh, uh, substitute philosophical thought for theology there, right? And these are, I think, lessons on why we should study history in the first place. And it's more than just those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. All I think there's some truth to that. It's really about a really understanding your yourself and the world around you. You can't really, you just can't divorce yourself from history, which is, by the way, a very modern, mm-hmm. modern thing. Um, so I, I think it's theologically important. It's uh, in the church, but also just these broad kind of things, why we study history in the first place is also applicable to why we study church history. Yeah, and I think... Um, one of the interesting things, probably, if if we think about, and I don't know that most parishes that we can even speak about a Bible study curriculum in the parish, although uh, that might not be a bad thing for no. churches to think no. about, right? Um, to, to have a real rationale to what is offered. I think normally when we think of Bible studies, they're on a book of the Bible or a topic, an mm-hmm. application. A general theme, maybe, like, um, I don't know, like joy mm-hmm. or whatever. But I don't know that there's a lot that we do on church history. Um, maybe if throw, we do, throw a little Luther here and there. Right, yeah. around Reformation Day. Um, but in my experience, when I've done a few, um, either when I was in the parish or now, when I go to a parish, it's something that people can somewhat latch on to mm-hmm. because it's a real gap maybe in a lot of our people's knowledge, which is interesting because um, many of our pastors who do go on to do grad school besides their MDiv, I'd say a lot of us do historical theology. Yeah, we, we have an interesting thing in our little <coughs> neck of the woods here in the Synod that uh, for, you know, we had a good liberal arts education, but probably we were very much more grounded in history than we were, for instance, poetry. Right. Right. And so um, we have a lot of amateur uh, historians out there. And yet at the same time, we tend to say that that's not very important when it comes to one of the disciplines in the church. Right. Like a practical theology, a biblical theology. But we don't really think about a historical theology. And and it, it is ironic because we can have people that really know their history, but what they mean is they really know their history about American Lutheranism and Luther. And before that, I mean, I've heard pastors say like, not only imply, but just flat out say like, uh, you know, there was this huge gap between like Paul and Luther and everybody else was just stupid. Uh, like you maybe heard of Augustine. Well, yeah. And I even had somebody said, criticizing somebody for quoting Augustine myth, he's not one of ours. And I'm like, do you, have you even, what? You know, I mean, and that was a pastor, right? I mean, there's such a huge gap there, pre-Reformation history uh, to probably Chalcedon, you know? Yeah. And even before that, right? Like Through the Middle Ages even. We sort of think we know the early church, but it's not like you hear a lot of uh, current preachers, you know, quoting Christendom, you know? Uh, um, but we probably should, right? I mean, I think there there is there's some wisdom there from from the fathers, right? Yeah, and uh, and maybe that uh, a further irony with that is that it is um, it's the Lutherans uh, and especially the post Luther Lutherans who really kind of in many ways create the modern field of patristic studies. Um, uh, Matthias, Illyricus, Flatius, Flacius, however you want to say it, um, his catalog of true testimonies. Um, he'll work with Weigand and others in Magdeburg on the Magdeburg centuries. Um, Johann Gerhardt does a bunch with this. Um, and part of the reason was to show that there was a continuity, right? That mm-hmm. while there may have been a remnant in certain ages, mm-hmm. that the gospel was always there and proclaimed and that they weren't the first people to be teaching, saying, doing what they were doing. Um, and and so it's it's kind of funny that maybe some of that has been lost. I would say once people, especially once they get to the parish, um, that it's not something that trickles down to our parishioners. But I think it also, um, and I think it's getting better in our schools. Um, the uh, 
But it, the, the, this really was important to Lutherans to study church history and to be able to um, to see the gospel proclaimed there and to show um, that Lutheranism was a small C Catholic church, mm. right? The Augsburg Confession is going to do this, where it's going to list old school heresies and say, we're not any of these, mm. right? Um, which it sort of had to do because people were sticking every, every accusation they could, you know, kind of throwing it against the wall like spaghetti or whatever mm. you throw against the wall. Um, but also I think just they themselves wanted to to, to have this confidence um, that they were the apostolic church. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not apostolic now by ordination, mm-hmm. um, but by message. And I think um, another thing for Christians to remember is that Christianity is a historical faith. Um, the Old Testament we take as as history, right? There were these prophets, and they lived in these places, and they were put to death at this time. Um, Jesus is born when Quirinius is governor in Syria. Um, Paul goes to places at times in Acts of the Apostles. The epistles are written to people at places and reference um, people who would be sub-apostolic fathers, right, who will come to know in church history after. Um, we accept the the symbols of the faith, the, the three ecumenical creeds. Um, these things are all built into, grounded in who we are as Christians. And it's not that we take a view that the Holy Spirit is like um, adding to teaching as time goes on. Um, it's not like this this Roman view of, you know, the there's ongoing revelation um, or a kind of a neo-Protestant view even, um, especially in some mainline Protestantism that now sees the Spirit at work and you pick the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Spirit has been in work bringing people to faith and leading to confessions of the faith. And there's much to be learned from that. And as you said, Michael, um, right, history literally can't repeat itself. Right? You can't have the exact same thing mm-hmm. again. But it can, in a way, repeat itself. There's lessons to be learned. And uh, the, the same old errors tend to pop up in new ways. Mm-hmm. And so there's, a, there's a, a lot to be gained by being familiar with them. And to realize, too, that the church, as you said, is bigger than us. Um, we even the Wisconsin Synod, right? Part of our identity is is rooted rooted in the Wauwatosa theology and the break with Missouri. A lot of stuff that seems odd, maybe to other people, about the Wisconsin Synod, uh, and some of the stuff that we get worked up about or we see is um, that our prominent teachings or practices, if someone from the outside gets to know us, come out of the Wauwatosa theology and the break with Missouri. And I'm not saying those practices or teachings are bad, but if anyone actually wants to start to understand us, mm-hmm. you're going to have to go back to that, right? Um, I had someone who had called me the other day. Um, he's from a Baptist seminary, and we had a good conversation. And um, he asked about, oh, he said, oh, you're Missouri Synod. And I said, no, we're Wisconsin Synod. And so he was trying to locate, mm-hmm. you know, where that's at. And I kind of joked like, well, uh, we make the Missouri Synod look liberal, right? <laughs> and, um, and he thought that was a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he got excited about that. But... Um, the uh, and I'm not saying the Missouri Senate is a bunch of liberals. Mm. Don't take that the wrong They're way. They're not. Yeah. Um, but uh, right to understand our Senate, you have to understand some of its history yeah. and why people get so concerned about certain things. Uh, it it's just shaped us, and and even that, right? Um, I don't know that we always teach that on the parish level as well. I and I say that as someone who came from the outside, and then you're trying to figure out like. Mm-hmm. What's your guys' thing with the Missouri Synod? Why are you mm-hmm. talking about so? Well, that break was mm-hmm. difficult and a lot happened. Or um, why does fellowship come up so often? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, com- close communion. Mm-hmm. Well, there's reasons. And then those things become teachable moments, mm-hmm. but not without the history. Yeah, I think uh, maybe a couple thoughts. One is I do kind of like get a little. I was guilty of this too and, and still am, but I get a little irritated when we have this kind of self hatred. Um, about about our own little group, and it's good to criticize your own little group because we you can get an echo chamber. But what what I what I keep going back into is every group's weird. Yep, yep. Every group has its echo chamber. You don't think like the if you didn't grow up in Catholicism, like even now after twenty years, if I go to mass, there's all kinds of stuff that seems oh, super sure. weird. Or like it, you, you're not telling me like the the Republican Party of Milwaukee County doesn't have a little you know. 
some some issues, some big personalities. You're telling me that the VFW hall doesn't have, you know, some quirky things. That's just the nature of being a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's got their own language, their own acronyms, their own whatever, whatever. So um, at some point, you kind of kind of sort of have to get over it, right? At the same time, being self-critical. The, the other thing about for, for Lutherans in history is the very early on insisting that there was an apostolic succession, not of ordination, but as you said, of message. And what we mean by that is just saying that we are, we are the church, right? That this was the, this is the, the ecclesiology of the medieval Roman Catholic church was problematic, right? That it was under uh, the papacy rather than all believers everywhere of all time. And so when, when we think about Lutherans today, or when we have uh, non-Lutheran students who are like curious about, about this whole Lutheran thing or whatever, that I make a huge point to say, don't think in terms of like denominations, right? Like you're Presbyterian, you're whatever. For Lutherans, it was always saying, this is, this is what the Catholic Church always taught. And we mean Catholic by university, small c, right? That, that we're not sectarian. Right. And, and I think if you if you if you took all the Lutherans, especially on the conservative side um, in America today and 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 gave them some questions that would indicate, do you think that you are, you know, this small C Catholic always this is about the church we're an anchor in the church rather than your identity as a, as a denomination? Um, I think they would they would go towards the, the idea of they were a denomination and would fall into the trap of of the, the, the more uh, left-leaning, um, and I mean left-leaning not in American politics, but left-leaning Protestants who would say, who would indicate, if not flat out say, that the gospel was completely lost until the Reformation, and will even say that Roman Catholics are not Christian, right? And to say, and, and they, they are, we're the true church. We are the ones that... Um, you know, rediscovered the gospel that had com been completely lost, where the Lutherans went way out of the way, and they didn't have to. They did not have to, but they went way out of the way to say, we are in line with Ambrose and Augustine and the church councils. Church councils can err, but we're not starting our own little weird sect here. And I, I think that's a mindset that maybe is lost in American Lutheranism, where we, we see ourselves more as this, purely one little strain uh, in sort of a Protestant way instead of being connected to the history of the church and saying we are just carrying on the tradition of the apostles and of the ecumenical councils and even of the councils that had aired. There were some good things in those that were, were the continuation of that good, bad, and ugly. We're not trying to form our own church. We don't think that the gospel was completely lost. We are grounded in this history and uh, we're not just starting our own thing. And to, to, for me, I think it's helpful. I hope it's helpful to the non-Lutheran students and the Lutheran students in our classes to say, listen, when I say Lutheran, don't be insulted by that. What I'm saying is this is what the, what the church always taught, right? right? We're trying the middle ground here. And, and then I always end that little speech with, we didn't leave, they kicked us out, right? Um, this is a true reformation of I the left. church rather than... I didn't get this kicked is, out. This, this is a true reformation of the church rather than... Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, you're right, you did. <laughs> According to modern Catholic doctrine, I'm the only one on the third floor going to hell. Yep, yep. Because you guys are just too ignorant. Too ignorant and You don't still, know better. Yep, that's right. I'm thinking of educating you more on Catholic doctrine so you can go to hell with me, Michael. So at least have come. <laughs> so that I yeah, I've made a actual informed informed decision. Renunciation yeah. of Rome. So but it's just and, and the if thing If it's like um the rich man in Lazarus where where you can see me, mm -hmm. will you at least kinda of wave? <laughs> there's a there's a big gap. Yeah, no, I can't go from you to me. I'm not asking you to bring me a drop of water or anything, yeah. but will you at least like give me a little like a little wave. acknowledgement? Like, I uh, should say, Wade, you could have been Lutheran under the Pope. You can be anything you want, technically, under the Pope. You know, Don't just... rub it in. I'm just asking for, and I see you. <laughs> yeah. You exist. Yeah, I will I will wave. Thank you. I'll tell you exactly what's on the menu. 
in heaven. Yeah. Oh, it'll be all my favorites. I know it. <laughs> so, but the point is, I think Augsburg Confession as a continuation of the ecumenical creeds, not at the level of the ecumenical creeds. We're not saying that, but just saying um, this is a confession for the church. This is what the Bible says. We are trying to try to maintain this this narrow road. We're not trying to start something new. And to, to the original point, that's why history is important, right? It, it, it makes you look at your own culture and your own church in a different light rather than the light of an American exceptionalism, an American denominational kind of whatever you want to say, the way the church is, is so splintered in America. Um, that, that it just helps you understand the theological differences. It helps you understand your own, your own self. Do you agree? I do agree. All right, thanks. Uh, Michael, you said earlier, you mentioned me and my Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll often tell students, we, we confess Scripture alone, but we don't read Scripture alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if you could elaborate or we elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, <clears throat> what is... Uh, why is me and my Bible such a particularly Protestant temptation, yeah. right, to fall into this view? Um, you know, that in, especially in an age where the Bible is so accessible. Yeah. I mean, you can even have it on your phone. Sure. Do you have it on your phone? I do. I don't have the app, but I mean, I, I search. It. I don't have the app. Yeah, I'm I look it up. But um, what do? You, why did you mention that? And why is that? I mean, that temptation is just strong, yeah. and yeah. especially strong in American Protestantism. Yeah. And as we um swim in those waters yeah. um it, it's imbibed by uh many of our own people as well yeah. uh maybe if you how is church history a corrective to that and, and why is that a problem isn't me and my bible a great thing yeah i think first of all the first thought that came to my mind was when you said when we're saying when we're bringing up this topic first of all we're not necessarily saying this is a wish although i think we would but it's more of a statement of reality like you don't read the Bible alone, right? You be honest. I mean, it's kind of like when I would deal with couples that were that were living together, and they would try to uh, earmuffs for the kids. They would try to uh, <clears throat> pretend that they did not adult wrestle, <laughs> and um, you know, you kind of press a little, and you're like, "I'm not a private investigator of sins," but. You, you find each other attractive. Yeah. And if you get married, you'd like to do this. Some, mm-hmm. So this is tempting. You know, like, mm-hmm. are you, you, you so you're going to, it's kind of like me and my Bible is kind of like that. I think you're exactly right. Like, it's something we'll say, but on the flip side, the one, the couple might be denying something they are doing. With me and my Bible, we're kind of often pretending we're doing something we're not. Right. So you, you come with baggage. Mm-hmm. Just admit it. Um, and it, it here, here's another example, like when someone says, well, I'm alone with my Bible and I read my Bible, that means I don't have to go to church. And of course, the sarcastic one is, well, then certainly you've come across where it says in Hebrews not to, you know what I mean? Like You go right to the law. You're, you're reading and you're not, you're, you, you think that you are, you understand, you think you're being pure, you think you're doing that. But if you actually read the Bible, you hear the exact opposite being said to you. Yeah. So... It is a, it is a, let's just say an arrogant thing. Or it's like the the, the doctor saying, "I've got my medical degree, medical degree. I don't go to the, I don't go to other physicians." Yeah, yeah. Um, it, th- there's a certain sense of arrogance there that probably, it does come from our um, emphasis on individualism in America, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not always uh, great, though. It's not great, though. And I think we also, here's the funny thing is, I don't need church history. I don't need to read the Bible through the lens of anybody else. And you ask yourself the question, how did you get there to that point? Mm -hmm. Well, because of the history of the Reformation, right? Where you were trying to move away from from the 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 church the the pope and the councils being able to arbiter truth. Magisterium kind of being the final say. So. Even your statement that it's important that I read the Bible purely has an historical baggage to it, mm. right? So you can't get away from history. You can't get away from your own baggage. The, the trick is, and, and here's, here's the thing, is 
Um, yes, it's, it's problematic that you would read through the lens of a particular group, right? And, or to have a... Or a particular time or place. Or to have a magisterial, like, this is how you're supposed to read it. Don't ever ask any questions, right? But the solution to that is not to go to yourself because you have you carry this baggage you become you 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 you, you get become rid of the one problem. pope to become a new one, pope. Yeah. the 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 antidote to this is to actually read more people mm -hmm. right to read uh more diverse commentaries right to do that now the danger of course is that you can just rely on commentaries rely on other people's opinions blog posts and stuff and you're not grounded in the scripture i found that myself too you you're, you're, you're so into, let's say, apologetics, or I'm so, you know, this semester, or I'm so into, in the fall, thinking in terms of Luther and the Reformation, that when I actually do open up my Bible, I find things that would have been ignored by them, or I see that in fresh light. So the answer is that you're, you're constantly reading the scriptures, but you're also constantly reading... Um, a wide variety of historical commentators and takes on these theology. So the antidote is not that you get away from it. The antidote is, antidote is that you go, you go head first into it by, but you have to maintain um, actually reading the scriptures themselves too. And, and I think um, we sometimes picture the scriptures as being this kind of like, like a pond instead of a river. Um, the waters kind of just sit still and it's kind of stagnant and there's just like one thing to learn from each thing and then you go to the scriptures and you learn that one thing from each chapter, right? And it's it's kind of like a textbook, um, which is the danger of using them in class right here is to give that impression. And church history reminds us uh, that the scriptures are much richer than we acknowledge in our personal study. <clears throat> There are people who have been very responsible um, readers of the Bible who have had a, a good hermeneutic who can go to it um, in different times and places, go to the same text and pull out treasures that are biblical, right? Um, so it's a reminder that the, the text is bigger than, than any one way we might take it as we read. And I think if we had our sermons collected from over the years, um, our sermons that if we might, but at this point we might have six, seven, eight, nine sermons on the same text, mm -hmm. right? Um, our, our sermons will bear that, <clears throat> but also to learn that every age has its blind spots. Mm -hmm. um, it has its things that it emphasizes at the expense of some others. It has its things that it mucked up in the biblical text because it came with different presuppositions. Um, I mean, a big part of the reformation is, is, um, is it do penance or repent? Or even better, is it do penance or repent or be repented? Mm -hmm. right? um, and uh, these things came out of the particular age in which they happened. And so um, reading the scriptures with our uh, ancestors in the faith uh, is like the physician who goes to another physician um, to be treated because the uh, right, you don't treat yourself, you need to have this thing applied to you. Um, you need to be aware of what you might be missing. Any of us who's ever been ill knows that we can latch on to certain symptoms or um, become short sighted, and uh, and so, um, you know, scripture alone is 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 key for this is what alone sets doctrine and, and ought to guide practice. Um, but the scriptures have been given. Uh, to the whole church. This is always, I've thought, the, the unfortunate thing with voters' assemblies, and I, I know you feel the same way, Michael, is that, that the dead don't get to vote, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's kind of a uh, undemocratic mm -hmm. that, uh, that that's the case. Um, and especially when, when we are trying to think about um, our parish and what should our parish be and what should it do, um, that sometimes those who put so much into making it what it is, they kind of get ignored. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we can choose to go this way or that way, um, which is not in line with uh, why that parish was, was rightly founded. And so I think history uh, reminds us of this. It also reminds us um, that we, 
as individuals, but we also as church, um, are only experiencing a certain part of life. Um, now, to be fair, in 2022, um, we're coming through a phase where we've experienced a fair amount. We've had pestilence. Mm-hmm. We've had war. We've had natural disasters. But still, I can say, Michael, I've had those in relative comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I mean. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, uh, I mean, probably the biggest thing that came out of all this was I got an e-bike, which I really <laughs> like. <clears throat> you know what I mean? That's what I'm going to remember the most. Mm-hmm about this um because it also allows me just an enormous amount of uh i can be very full of myself as i drive by and see gas prices mm-hmm. and then like when I, I could be out exercising on it well you know everybody's wearing their mask mm-hmm. and they can't mm-hmm. it this was this was a great thing mm-hmm. for me <clears throat> um but i've not i didn't die i'm not having to go f- i don't even think the ukrainians would want me if i went over i think they'd look and be like we appreciate the support you know but Maybe like a shield or something. Uh, probably. <laughs> or like I could like help load yeah, yeah, things yeah. maybe. Um, but I think church history reminds us that the human experience is much bigger than what we've um, come to know as well. As well as just, I mean, things that come up in class, like especially with the Old Testament. If you don't know church history, I'm sorry. There's certain texts you just aren't going to get. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get all the, the parables of Jesus as you might otherwise. I mean, part of the parables is to not get the parables. But um, especially the Old Testament, there's just things that we do not understand if we don't dig into the history of, of what was going uh, on there. But, yeah, I'm, I'll throw it back to you, Michael. I was talking about No, I think that's— I, I, Ziggy, by the way, messaged me. And uh, the um, I said, uh, oh, he, I had texted them after chapel, and I said— Hope that was okay and you guys don't get too much grief. Mm-hmm. I said, thanks for being good sports. Cause you preached it in chapel. At, at Wisco, yeah. yeah. And I mean, high school. Yeah. Their dad's a, he's a hefty guy mm-hmm. in clericals. Mm-hmm. Although with a nice... Looking, looking good. Nice hair and beard. Um, and so um, Ziggy had wrote some stuff. He said, yeah, it was good. But then he wrote some stuff and I won't share that stuff. Because he made a joke that it's not inappropriate, but mm-hmm. I just won't share it. And uh, he said, someone asked if you were Irish. (laughs) And so I wrote, Irish? Because of the beard? And he said, no, because how you talked, I guess, or something, the beard has gotten compliments. Very nice. Very good. I I was thinking like a leprechaun beard thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why they would think you're Irish. Irish. It's kind of like when I presented um, out in California the one time. Mm -hmm. A guy came up, and he was very complimentary, but he said, um, uh, you you very much, um, or he, he was saying he thought maybe I would like had some Jewish background, rabbinical background. Mm-hmm. So I must have taught like a a rabbi or mm-hmm. something. Um, which I kind of got because I do kind of mm-hmm. I can have that demeanor, but I don't get the Irish. No. What do you think is Irish? I don't know me? nothing. I don't I don't see an accent at all. Or hear an accent at all. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't wearing, I, I'm wearing all yeah, black. No green. Yeah. Uh, back to the topic, I think there are, there, <laughs> are smooth there are sweeping, very large philosophical eras and movements and uh, ways of thinking that do blind us to things. It's not that we don't teach them, or it's more that we don't emphasize them and think about them. So, for instance, I think that the theology of the cross, vocation, the sacraments, all of those things in the American modern period, which were uh, very uh, pietistic, which would um, privilege the subject over the object of the spiritual, over the physical, the personal, over the institution, um, that those things were just not very popular even in the Lutheran church. So we've talked about this before, like we didn't really get a whole lot on vocation in the seminary. And you're like, that's kind of a big deal, right? Or the, you know, did, why didn't we go through the Heidelberg disputation? Like, you know, thesis by thesis. We may have, and that just wasn't our most focused day. This is correct. Like it was mentioned. These things were mentioned, Mm -hmm. but they were not on the front burner. So... And, and again, it's not to say, oh, they were just terrible back then. They, they had different battles, 
right. right? Mostly the battle for, it was an epistemological and hermeneutical battle uh, about, you know, how do we get, what, what is the scriptures, right? Um, coming out of the, the modern, the overwrite modern period. I get that. And, and I'm fully aware, I don't know what they are, but I'm fully aware of that I, I'm ignoring something, mm -hmm. whatever those blind spots may be. And my children, me. Will, my children will tell oh, me. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but you can, to think that you can just look at the Bible and, and say that you have this, again, clean slate, you're always going to read it through yep. the lens of your culture and what is important or not. So you're, you're never actually reading it by yourself. You are reading it with your culture. Yeah. And so it's so important to say, what, what was the biggest issue for Augustine? What was the biggest Augustine. issue for um, Ambrose? What was the biggest issue for Justin Martyr? What was the biggest issue Justine. for Luther? What was the biggest <laughs> issue um, for uh, Mühlhausen? Whatever. Um, because we may look back and go, geez, why was that? Why did you make such a stinking big deal out of it? But well, a, it may be, they made a big stinking deal about it. So you don't have to now, yep. or, um, maybe it would, they did have some blind spots. We know that they did, but I can learn from somebody who gets passionate about a specific thing that I'm not passionate about. And maybe I go, maybe we should think about that more. We should think more about a theology of suffering coming out of the 1980s, evangelical American go-go eighties kind of scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's our ignoring of the theology of the cross in, and theology crosses about more than suffering, but including, and especially the idea of, of, of suffering um, versus this idea of progress and spiritual growth and all that kind of stuff that, that payments do now that payment is due now in a postmodern world that is acutely aware of injustice and suffering and the church the church ignored that right so and that's normally the case is that when the big thing comes for the church of some age it's usually the thing they've not been catechized yeah, for yeah. and then i look i more and more i look back on um, people that were then probably considered rebels or gadflies and maybe they were personality wise that would be a good minor league baseball team name. The Godfather, yeah. But like you, you can think of a Gerhard Ferdy, whether, you know, how much you, 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 where you are on him or whatever. Um, uh, Gene Veith was, was not controversial, but he, here's a layman who brought vocation back into the, the vernacular for Lutheran church in America. Um, uh, uh, Peep corn, um, all those things that we can, I can, you know, Bonhoeffer, you could you could think of quite a few people who were odd for their time, maybe in certain circumstances, and we can be critical of all of them. Everybody can be critical of everybody, but that saw something that was missing in the contemporary way. That, let me put it this way: in the contemporary hermeneutic of the church of their day, mm -hmm. that was ignored, and that brought it back into the. Um, the consciousness of the church, maybe the next generation later. And I can, th I can think of all of them were, were not just forward looking, but backward looking yep. and saw that this was an issue in a different day and that we could learn from them. Yeah. And if I can use one illustration from my, my family history, Michael, is that okay? Mm -hmm. um, my family, to be clear, that is by no means Irish. Mm -hmm. On either side, there's not much Irish. Um, but um, my grandmother, uh, long story short, I grew up in a family. I grew up Roman Catholic, but my mom had been Lutheran, whatever else. So my grandma Pitts, on my mom's side, was very proud eventually when I became Lutheran and then and then when I was going to be a pastor. <clears throat> right? This was a big deal. And I remember I was at, I was at seminary. You might remember I was at seminary, Michael. Mm -hmm. We saw each other sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Grandma called, and um, she uh, she was reading her Bible, so she was calling her her seminary and grandson. So this was probably an excuse to to consult me, and then she could tell the ladies at the um, what do you call that? A hair salon? Is that where ladies go to? Sure, not a barbershop. And uh, so she uh, she said, "Wait, I think I've sinned." I said, "Well, Grandma, I'm sure you've sinned. What? But what sin do you think you've committed?" And she said, uh, "I think I've committed idolatry." And uh, 
You said, yep. Yeah, we all commit idolatry. But but it sparked my interest. And I said, why do you think you committed idolatry? So well, I set up a tree in the house. I said, Grandma, do you mean the Christmas tree? She said, yeah. And I was reading the Bible, and it talked about you know setting up a tree or a post. <laughs> I said, are you talking about Asherah? She said, yeah, I think that's what it was called. So, Grandma, are you, are you hoping for children? She says, no, those years are passing. Well, are you, are you hoping for a good crop this year if you planted a garden? And she, and she said, no. Um, but she was reading her Bible, and she was reading it faithfully, and she stumbled on something because she didn't understand the historical context. And so we got to have a fun little conversation. Um, but that's the... That's part of the danger of, of not knowing our history. Um, and it's not only in how we read our Bible, but in how we, we view ourselves and our present and the future purpose of the church as well. Um, the past is never in the past, mm-hmm. right? Um, Kierkegaard, for all his faults, is in some ways right when he says life can only be lived forward but only understood backwards. And... Uh, the past then offers, uh, it, it's full of perspective. Um, it, in many ways, maybe is like a, a good set of eyeglasses. Um, what are the eyeglasses going to do? They're going to use your eyes, you know, your experiences, who you are. Um, but they're also going to provide a bit of a lens to help round things out uh, so that you can see more clearly. And I think that's the role of, of church history. And I think it's why it's helpful for all of us, uh, laity, pastors, professors alike, um, to brush up on it. To, I think it's a good reason for maybe that being a, a part of a Bible school curriculum um, in a parish. It's why we offer uh, Bible history, or I'm not Bible history, church history courses here at um, the college. And uh, so, yeah, it, um, so that we, uh, when we are committing idolatry, that we can know exactly why. Um, and and not uh, not take down our Christmas tree, which is purposely fine to have and fun. The uh, my grandma, she's great. I was over there, uh, or she was at our house one day, and this Jehovah Witness came up to the door, and I uh, I said, oh, you know, thanks for coming up, but we've got family over. I'm a Christian. There's nothing you're gonna say that's gonna change my mind on it. You know, I appreciate you taking the efforts for something you really believe in. You know, have a great day. And the, they were like, oh, okay. And then they left. And my grandma was so impressed with this. Well, then someone came to her door a couple months later, and, and she said that. And the guy was like, uh, I just wanted to see if I could paint your address on the street. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. She's in heaven. I look she forward, said, to, she just I look forward to seeing her if I if I don't end up in, yeah. in hell. In purgatory. Yeah. Uh, um, no, that's good. That's good. Um, I think we're at time, aren't we? Yeah, so I don't... Oh, I was going to mention one thing. Uh, And then you wrap us up. So, um, 1517 has these free academy video courses, Mm -hmm. lectures, and they do have one, like a short go through church history, correct? Nice. I believe so. Um, Dan Van Voris, I believe. I don't know if it's American Christian history or the whole... I know he did one in America for sure. Yeah. So, uh, take that, take, take a look that, that may be like, if you're a pastor going through that, make that like a... Two month long Bible class, kind of you. Yeah. He can do it's the information for you. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking for a short now a short book, uh, Turning Points by by Noel. Very good. You yeah. know, is an easy kind of way. Hey, let's just uh, let's just get some highlights into a uh, Bible class. Um, if you're a pastor or if you're an interested uh, pastor or lay, uh, lay person, that that's a, that's an easy read. Okay, so um, why do we look at church history? Because God came into history, right? And we are people of history. And he came to free us. And so we know the church history so that we are not, we don't fall back into the same specifically Christological errors that take away our gospel freedom, uh, our freedom from sin and death, but also also our freedoms right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we're all about. So uh, friends, until next time, let the bird fly.
the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a jank. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. 